and welcome to the Modern Maker Podcast. I'm Chris Salamone, and with me as always are Mike Montgomery. Hey, I'm happy to be here. And Ben Ueda. Hey. Today is Thursday, December 21st, otherwise known as Humbug Day, as in like Bah Humbug. There we go. It's close enough to Christmas. A a day to hate on Christmas, I guess, if you're just like sick of buying presents or whatever. I don't know. I don't think it's the buying presents. I think it's the Christmas music. Oh, that'll get to you, man. You know what? It's right about the time for it to start wearing down on you. I don't know if I ever talked about this, but one of my jobs early in college, I worked at a Home Depot Mm. and they would start playing the music like, you know, Thanksgiving and whoo, I was burnt out of it (laughs) by this time. Like you get like 12 songs on rotation. Mm -hmm. No, thanks. I believe it. Bad stuff. What are y'all working on? Go for it, Mike. You start right while you're taking a sip of Canada Dry. All right. Yes. It's the Mandarin Orange flavored Mm. sparkling water. Sponsored. Hashtag. That's what you're working on. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thanks for the water money, Canada Dry. Uh, this week, I got a, I'm working on a project with the Turbo Plane. Uh, oh, nice. Two weeks ago, I think it was, I kind of sent a call out to the listeners mm-hmm. uh, with the hopes of getting a cool idea f- to use the Arbortech ball gouge on. And essentially what that is, is a little attachment for your angle grinder. You may have heard of the Arbortech Turbo Plane, which is also an angle grinder attachment. That you use to power carve wood. This is the same thing. It's just made for more, uh, more of a tight radius kind of carving situation. And I got a lot of feedback. I probably had 10, 12 people suggest ideas to me. So thank you, everybody that listens and shot me an idea. A couple of the neat ones I had, I guess that I'll, go, I'll throw out a couple of cool ideas that I'm not doing just for the, for the sake of saying thank you for the ideas. One I thought was neat was a wooden... It would obviously be a fake wooden airplane propeller, like you would use on an old school big old biplane. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was a neat idea. You could kind of hang it on the wall. I've seen that in a couple of restaurants and things. Um, I was just worried maybe the symmetry wouldn't look good. And then the the big caveat to that was I thought it was one of those 50-50 videos that can perform really well or very poorly. It yeah. doesn't necessarily have the potential for a lot of search-based views. I don't think a lot of people are searching for... DIY fake wooden airplane propellers, but it's one of those things, kind of like Paul Jackman's wooden leg lamp from A Christmas Story. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that's getting a lot of search-based views, but it's very shareable. So that's another video that could kind of perform that same way. So what did you end up building? Yeah. So the one thing I did build is that I'm working on is a lamp. I've been wanting to do a lamp for a little while, and I got a suggestion to do a very sculptural lamp. And like I mentioned, whenever I first introduced the ball, the ball gouge idea, is I didn't want it to be incredibly sculptural just because that's not necessarily what I'm good at. And it's hard to teach. It's hard to do a DIY on something that's not, right? doesn't really have dimensions you can give. Mm-hmm. But I really like the idea of doing a lamp. I haven't done one in a while. Some lamp videos do pretty well. So, And I need a lamp in my room. So I had the idea of getting a big, maybe a 10 by 10, 12 by 12 block that's about four inches high, and then use a glass globe that you would use on a pendant light fixture. You may be familiar with these on a lot of outdated fixtures, like a brass or some kind of metal fixture. There's a spherical glass globe that has this little kind of bottleneck at the top that attaches to the fixture. Mm -hmm. Well, whenever I was searching for lamp parts, I still didn't have the idea. I just knew I wanted to do a lamp. And I came across these pendant glass globes that have no neck. So it's a perfect sphere, but at the top, there's a four-inch cutout uh, that then goes into the fixture. And I thought that was a really cool kind of ready-made piece that I could incorporate somehow. So my plan is to get this 10-inch globe and this big 10 by 10, maybe 12 by 12. It'll probably be slightly bigger than the globe. uh, Wooden base, and I'm going to use the turbo plane to carve out a spherical recess that that globe can set into, then the light fixture can go through the bottom of the globe and you'll have this cool light bulb right in the center of it all. And it can just be a cool little desk lamp. So um, that was my initial idea. I thought I would do it out of some kind of walnut or maple, but then the more I thought about it, I really liked the idea of stacking a bunch of plywood on top of each other so that each face, the four faces that are facing out, you would see the horizontal plies of the plywood But what would be really neat is from the top, you see the solid wood top, but as you carve into it, you reveal all of those layers of plywood. And I think that'll make a cool little kind of visual texture that'll be really neat. Not to mention, I kind of want to try to see how the turboplane, you know, reacts to plywood. I've used it on that big chunk of pecan 
and I've used it on some scrap wood, but I've never used it on plywood. So, so you I'm haven't started to, carving yet? No, I'm going to be carving it tomorrow. I built the okay, base cool. today. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm just curious to see if it's still able to cut really smoothly or if it wants to kind of bite into each of the plies individually. So yeah, it should be, be a fun experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. What do you got going, Ben? Uh, we just uh, published a video uh, that Jamie did, and she used the, the Carvey CNC machine to do it. Uh, it's good. I think it's one of her better projects. It's, uh, she made like a wood and leather uh, handbag. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a really interesting use of uh, of combining wood with leather, and so if you're if you're sewing something like sewing seams and straight things is is relatively easy, but like giving something three dimensional structure out of flat malleable fabric or leather is, is is a little bit of the difficult part. You have to you know really sort of understand how to pattern things. Mm-hmm. Well, she used uh, CNC'd pieces of maple. Uh, for the sides and then just like glue laminated two layers of leather right around it and the detailing looks pretty cool the the last sort of part that she worked out that i was really really happy about was she was having she she hadn't figured out a she didn't really have a good way of like attaching the straps to the wood and uh because she kept looking at leather hardware and i was like and so i suggested uh uh, just using stainless steel bolts and then using the CNC to cut a uh, hexagonal recess on the inside of the wood so that the bolt fits right in and it all worked out flush and mm-hmm. real clean. And we found just at Home Depot these stainless steel uh, machine bolts. They have a round panhead top, but they had like a hex drive within that top. So it kind of has like a cool aesthetic. So it looks like a, a stainless steel dome with like a hexagonal uh, sort of imprint in it for the, the Allen wrench. So really happy with how that came out. Um, I think it's like a uh, it's like a great example of how you could turn a small CNC machine into a business. Because these bags, yeah. they look pretty clean. And they're, you know, the material for that bag was probably like 10 to 15 bucks. Um, mm-hmm. You could do all sort of customizations, both to the leather or to the wood. You could engrave stuff into the wood. Um, you could make them any number of sizes. You could make other wood pieces that fit inside to make like a camera case or anything else. And it's a, it's one of those things where you know people always complain about how expensive like a CNC machine is. Well, it's only expensive if you don't have good design ideas. If you have good design ideas, machines like that can pay for themselves really quickly. You could sell a handful of those bags pretty quickly at like a like a weekend show or something like that, and and probably recoup the the, the price of the whole machine. Um, yeah. So it's uh, really happy with it too because it's uh, it, it's exactly why I want to bring people on because I mean handbag design isn't something that is necessarily my forte although you know I do have do have some ideas on it but uh, I think it's just a great way to show. Uh, it's a great application for that scale of CNC machine. Um, what I thought that, was so cool, what I thought that was so neat is you made a handbag without sewing anything with leather. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that was the coolest takeaway is you didn't even have to stitch anything, did you? Yeah. Or no, did she? No, yeah. no stitching, right? Which yeah, like, that's, that's awesome. That's pretty awesome. And what's interesting is that she went with a pretty like kind of obvious symmetrical sort of approach. But there's no reason why that profile couldn't be all sorts of interesting shapes and and sort of things from there. Um, so again, I was I was just really happy to sort of any anytime I see like a like a an efficient utilization of a, of a particular tool, it always kind of tickles me. So that was a cool project um, for me. I've been working on a new website, so. I'm working out a deal with a with a sponsor, and they want me to sort of uh, do a video on making a website. And obviously, I already have uh, homemade-modern.com, but uh, uh, I've always owned that- a domain that has my name, um, benueda.com, and so I decided to make sort of like a personal website. So I've been sort of uh, and, and the way I was sort of thinking about it, as I was thinking about it being sort of like a a timeline uh, throughout my sort of life. Like, 
uh, do you know what like the difference of like a CV versus a resume is? Uh, I always thought one was British. <laughs> yeah, so a, a CV or, or curriculum vitae is is more like your whole life's work, right? It's like everything you've done. Whereas a resume, you're normally consolidating to one page. Um, mm-hmm. And so I thought it'd be cool just to do it on the creative side. Is just to have one website where it pretty much documents uh, all the sort of you know projects I've sort of worked on or done. Uh, throughout my life, or not all of them, but the the ones that are sort of notable to me now, it's um, like the living biography, exactly right. Of what you've like, done, you know, yeah. pictures and videos. So, yeah, the way I was sort of thinking is, is I, tr- I picked out about sort of twenty or thirty projects that I thought were pivotal. You know, starting from when I was like ten, like uh, like when I first got like a bandsaw, um, to and I even found some of my old uh, you know freshman year architecture work from Cornell and. So I've been sort of compiling all that content and organizing it into a website. So when people sort of ask how you got started or, or what you sort of did, I'll now just say, well, just go to this website. And <laughs> the, whole, the whole story is sort of told. I guess I was trying to think of it as like, how could I tell my life story through a series of projects? Um, mm-hmm. And not so much, not going into depth about what the projects are, but just sort of a few images, brief overview, and what I sort of learned from it and why it was important to me moving on. So things from raising, you know, uh, going from sort of tech entrepreneurship stuff that I've done to sort of like the first wooden sword I made to like architecture student projects uh, and so on. Awesome. Could I jump in and say something else that's happening this week? What? Go for it. My first dwell made video is going to go up. Oh, baby. Welcome to the Snap. Yeah, so everybody that's already subscribed to Dwell Made, thanks for doing that. We're starting to get some followers happening, which is really cool. Um, if you haven't checked it out already, Instagram at Dwell Made, YouTube, just search Dwell Made. It'll yeah. be right at the top. Chris, what are you doing? I am, so lately I've been editing some videos. So I put out the, let's see, the Nintendo Stand 1 came out late last week, and then I got another video scheduled to go up just like a couple days after Christmas. But I tend to do most of my editing like in the evenings after work. I just kind of stay in my office and edit so that I, <laughs> just easier to do it there than at home. Less so, distractions. Uh, yeah, less distractions. I got two big monitors. So it's just, it's just more friendly to it. So I won't be working after Thursday though. So I want to make sure I get all of my editing done ahead of time. That way then on my week off, I can just do family stuff and Christmas stuff and then work on building a couple things. So trying to knock that out in the next couple days. Um, and then this past weekend I started building something that I'm not sure when it's going to come up, hopefully sometime in January, but it's going to be the video to officially announce the whole furniture thing that I'm doing. The, awesome. you know, the company that's going to sell the furniture. So it's actually one of the pieces that we're going to have for offer. You can actually go look at the original that I built right now. If you just, Google Four Eyes Furniture Meanol. It's like, you know, when you say like, that's a mean old bookshelf or something like that, but it's spelled kind of weird. It's M-E-A-N-O-L-E. And you should be able to find some pictures of it. Um, so we're going to do one of those. So I'm going to build a video on it. So I actually have the original sitting in my dining room and it's gigantic. It's like, I don't know, seven feet tall, four feet wide, two feet deep. It's, it's really big. You can probably see it in some of the pictures of like the dining tables that I posted, you'd see it off to the left-hand side. Um, So I wanted to build that for a project, but I was like, man, I don't wanna build another one of these huge things and like, where am I gonna keep it? And then it's just, you know, it's hard to move into the house and move out of the house. You have to basically take it apart to get it out of the house because it's so big. Um, So, and then the other thing is the way that they're gonna do it is a little bit different than the way that I would do it because they have bigger industrial machinery. So like a good Mm -hmm. example would be for my, my doors, I had to do a, fr- a panel, a frame and panel, because I just, I didn't want to have to like glue up a bunch of pieces of wood and flatten them and everything. Whereas they're going to have hardwood doors that'll be wider than what I could work with. So yeah. I had the idea of like, I want to kind of mimic some of the things that they're doing. So what if I did a scale version of it? Kind of like if, you know, when somebody <laughs> prototypes a piece of furniture or something that's like, or, you know, prototype something that's going to be real. Oftentimes they'll build it smaller because it's just, easier to get yeah. done, less wasted resources. So, so how just, small are you talking here? 
So it's, I don't know if you would consider this half size or quarter size. I mean, it's like a quarter of the volume, but everything is mm -hmm. in half. So like, you know, if it were seven feet tall, now it's three and a half feet tall. Um, so that's how it's scaled down. And it's funny, like it started off as just like, oh, let me think about that. And I was like, well, let me just draw it out and see what it looks like. And so I drew it to scale, like with a human there and everything. I was like, this thing's awesome. Like it looks so cool <laughs> seeing it small. And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. Cause like, then we could actually also use it for like, you know, the kids to play with in their room and stuff like that. So oh yeah. as I started drawing it, I actually got like really excited about doing it. And it, it made it instead of having that, like, oh man, I'm building the same thing over again that I've already built. It's like a new take on it. And it, it's something that I've always kind of wanted to do to try building a scaled down version of something. So seemed like it was the perfect opportunity to try that out. So started doing that this past weekend and then I'll probably pick it up. I probably won't have time to pick it up again until after Christmas realistically, but um, yeah, hopefully I should be able to knock that out over the break and then I'll, I'll probably, ha I have a few other ideas for projects I'm kicking around. So hopefully be able to knock out a couple projects during the Christmas break. That's cool. You should make one so small that you could use it. You could like cut it in half and then use it as bookends or something like that. <laughs> like and on that thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's like sitting on top Inception of the Inception book desk. Yeah, or bookshelf. Speaking of like more Russian nesting doll type things. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. What are we doing this week? We just gonna do some questions. We are answering I think so. questions. All right. So this one comes in from Eric Didit on Reddit. And he wants to know our take on splitting videos into two or three parts, the pros Ooh. and the cons. He goes on and he writes out a big thing, but I think we can just leave it at that and start talking about yeah. it. Um, it's changed is what I would say, and it probably will change again. I would say mm -hmm. if you asked me two years ago, I would say, oh, get two videos out of it. Because it seemed at, at that point um, that uh, quantity was important. Uh I've actually had some recent talks with uh, people at YouTube and they're seem to be focusing more on duration of view and like longer form videos and more engagement over time. And they're mm -hmm. heavily rewarding uh, the, uh, longer videos with excellent retention, mm -hmm. um, which is their sort of way of getting past sort of clickbait. So the, I think the mistake, you know, if I was to read that the last two times I've split videos were with the molten metal table mm -hmm. and with uh, two videos that Jamie did for the the leather daybed and the leather covered. The uh, yeah. So uh, and if I was to do that again, I would have combined both of those into one video. Hmm. But that that kind of poses a challenge, though, right? Because those are two independent projects in reality. I, they're yeah. related, but they're totally separate. Now, uh, from a business standpoint, if you have two videos ready and you have two uh, integrated sponsors into them, well, then financially it makes more sense to split them because uh, yeah, you're right. getting a lump sum for each one. Um, but if you're going just by YouTube performance, uh, it would have made sense to do one longer video. It would help you more. Mm -hmm. YouTube would be more likely to sort of trend and promote that video. Right. You know, one thing I've actually noticed as a watcher or a viewer on YouTube um, for the past few months, but definitely more recently is they have that section continue watching on your mm -hmm. homepage and also what they'll recommend to you. Like if you've watched eight minutes of a 20 minute video, it'll pretty much like keep recommending it to you to yeah. finish that video. So yeah. I don't think that I don't think that's a concern that people should have like, oh, it's long and people are going to like too tire long. out of it. Like even if they can't watch it in one sitting, I think that YouTube does a pretty good job of bringing them back. Yeah. To it's it. not, it's never length. People get tired of pace, not yeah. how long it is. Um, right. So, you know, if, if a lot, like I just saw the star Wars movie and it was two and a half hours long, but mm -hmm. it was so quickly paced and so visually stunning at every sort of turn. It, it didn't feel that long. Whereas right. I, I've been in some movies that were an hour and 45 minutes and they felt like an eternity. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so the, the other thing I would caution is even thinking that way, just generically, I think is problematic. Um, one, the answer is always going to change. So the minute you figure it out, I mean, it's changed on me. I mean, I recently recommended doing a video from my own channel that way that wasn't the right decision. Um, and 
you know, now I might change back and then it, they might change it again. And that's just the, just how it works. So what I think the best approach to be to have is just thinking about, uh, what would just best serve what you're trying to do with that thing and what would make the most amount of people happy? Yeah, I've always been on the train of thought that if you can make it a one-part video, make it one part because as a consumer, whenever I see a video that's 15 minutes and it's titled part one, I'm assuming there's also a part two that's just as long mm-hmm. and that makes me a lot more apt or that makes me a lot less apt to actually watch the video from the get-go because I know I'm getting into something way too long or maybe not even way too long, but something that's like, okay, if I'm going to watch this, I'm going to sit down and be ready to watch it for a while. Right. You're putting Um, it off. Yeah. But from, from an editing standpoint, I think a lot of that is pacing. Like what you're talking about, Ben is if you're building a dining table, if you're building some kind of something and you're making two 15 minute videos on a project video that should be one 12 minute video, I don't think it's a question of should I make it one video or two videos. I think it's a question of what can I cut out of this because it's way too long from the from the start, you know? Right. right. And actually, that that's going to bring up... Okay, so something that Ben just mentioned about, um, you know, YouTube liking longer videos with good retention. Mm-hmm. If people know that, they're going to start, like, elongating their videos, but yes. ruining them by having bad pacing. Yeah, well, and that's exactly. something that I always think... It like, doesn't work if people drop off. <laughs> yeah, <Exactly>. never <laughs> never aim for a length in a video. Like, that's the beauty of YouTube is that we don't have to do 22-minute yeah. episodes or whatever. Is it, it Every video should be as long as it needs to be or as right. it wants to be. Right. Like, you know, you'll find... I can pretty much find, like, if you tell me what project I'm doing, I can probably guess now within, like, a one-minute window of how long a video is going to be just because I've got the reps in now and I just, like, know, okay, I'm probably going to talk about this, 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 and this, and that's going to be eight minutes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, don't shoot for eight minutes. Don't shoot for ten minutes. Just, like, keep it interesting. It's it's pace, not length. That's what I tell the women. So it's like, for me, I always, uh, yeah, for me, I always think, you know, five to ten seconds per step is what it normally takes me to explain in like one to two sentences what I just did. So for for me it's like what I, you know however many sort of distinct making steps there are it'll be sort of multiplied by about 5 to 10 seconds and that's how long the video is going to be but that's the pace that I sort of enjoy and I think Mike me and you tend to be a little bit more impatient like we have like yeah even in the way we sort of talk and communicate in general, we're more likely to jump in and talk over somebody. Um, <laughs> no. Well, I was just going to say that. Uh, <laughs> no, just uh, but no, we're, bo- we're both pretty, uh, uh, we're both pretty quick and a little bit like impatient. So I yeah. think it's not surprising that the, the pace of our videos is, is pretty fast. Uh, mm-hmm. Where Chris just likes to stretch it all out like a big, <laughs> Lincoln, like a big Lincoln town car. he makes the lincoln town car of youtube videos you know i will say though that um because doing the dwell videos they're more in the in the style that i would say that ben typically has and it is a nice change of pace like like yeah i like yours a lot and it takes like a little of the uh I don't know. It's just like lighter. Like it doesn't feel as like burdensome when I go to sit down to edit it. Yeah. I mean, I do. I like doing it the way that I do it, obviously, or or I wouldn't do it that way. But uh, it is definitely a nice change of pace. Yeah. It's it's I I think we lose a little bit of what's awesome about your videos and your personality. But I think as like it's a it's a less uh, idiosyncratic kind of way of doing it. Right. Like it's Mm -hmm. a more generic approach that I think is great for a channel where there's going to be multiple sort of designers and makers contributing to, right? Yeah, like I it's, think it, it's, it's like a good it, universal joint. Right, right. and it's, it's, a, it's a more replicable, wow, holy replicable? cow, replicable, <laughs> yes, thank you, replicable <laughs> format. Yeah, I think it does, too, yeah. it probably does cater to a larger audience. And that's something that I've always thought about with the way that I present my videos, my kind of trade-off that I think I have and I'm fine with is that, I know that my style turns off a certain demographic of the audience and that's fine because I think for every one of those people, there's the people that like me extra because of the style that I present. I think that's what like endears my videos to them. So there's, I don't know, 
yeah, you know, I could probably have a bigger audience if I did things in a more straightforward way, but it would probably be a less um, enthusiastic audience, I guess. I agree. I think so. Is that all for that question? Yeah, I would just, the only, the only reason time I would do a multiple part series is if I'm doing something big, like whenever I do the bus conversion or flip a yeah. house or something like that. Um, right, that would are, obviously be way too big, but yeah. Yeah, and those That's are also like one. self-contained th- parts of a video where it's like really focused on this one thing, and that is like a complete That's project a, in and itself. Yeah, that's a good point. I I didn't even think to say that. But yeah, even the van conversion, whenever I, or the bus conversion, when I do that, it'll be an episode on the kitchen, an episode on the bathroom, an episode on the living space, and then like an episode on the, the exterior. It would all mm-hmm. be focused episodes. It wouldn't be just converting a school bus into uh, RV part one. Each one would have yeah. specific points that it's going over. It would all be focused that's the main word be focused Mm -hmm. in what you're doing it'd be interesting to see if as this space gets more i don't know what's the right word eloquent or something no like um would at some point would it behoove you to almost produce it in a more traditional way where say like okay i'm gonna do this van conversion and i know it's gonna have these five major parts and so i'm gonna make six videos i'm gonna make these five major parts and then this one like wrap-up video that encapsulates the whole thing and maybe just kind of like goes over everything but not in as much detail and have it all come out at the same time like i wonder if it would ever yeah yeah so that basically like yeah a season of something yeah so people can just binge it i mean you're you're experimenting without a little bit with the the series editor on uh, YouTube and I, I was just started using mm-hmm. it too. I went back and yeah. and put some of like the I did a three part no actually a four part series on uh, building out my kitchen from my loft um, as a four part series yeah. and uh, recently just got access to the sort of uh, beta version of the YouTube series editor and put them into a series rather than just a playlist so that it would sort of view a little bit more as like a little mini series within the the flow of content. Um, the way I think it's like there's it's it's all contextual. The an, the answer to that question is completely dependent on the context. Because I've I really like Game of Thrones, but I also really like the first season of True Detective. And I like mm-hmm. them for totally different reasons. I thought the first season of True Detective was was the right size for the right amount of characters. But it doesn't mean I like one season anthology shows. Cuz I do like right. Game of Thrones. I do like the sprawling narrative that encompasses hundreds of characters, you know, multiple seasons through one massive story arc. They're mm-hmm. just different and they have different stakes and they're appropriate at different times for different stories. So again, you know, to, to sort of wrap this up, this question is, I really say that the, is figuring out a strategy for the type of pace that you enjoy communicating at and then, you know, sort of develop your strategy around sort of perfecting that pace and never really, you know, give a consideration for uh, length. Nice. All right, I'm going to move on to another question. So this one comes in from Zach Karlaftis, and he says, can you start at any age? I'm going to assume that means making things. And then he says, do you think you need a lot of experience to build some of the stuff you make? So I guess he's saying the, the projects that we make, do you think people need a lot of experience for no. them? Uh, no. For Speaking for myself, Chris's stuff maybe a little bit more but first of all just to, to go broader on the question can you start at any age um that's interesting because it's, it's something i've been thinking about uh yeah you're it's, it's it's never too late and i'm someone that uh i didn't start uh college until i was 21 um and so for a long time uh while, while i was like an undergrad student i felt like i was way behind um, mm-hmm. and it put, definitely put like a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because before that I did like, uh, you know, martial arts and sort of kickboxing stuff and traveled a lot, uh, worked all sorts of jobs. And so I felt like, Oh, I, I, I was behind. But in retrospect, when I look back, it, it was perfect for, for what I needed to do. Um, mm-hmm. because I had sort of like basically two to three gap years. Um, when I did finally get to a, uh, you know, a, a four-year university, I was like super focused. Um, yeah. So, you know, exactly what I was sort of insecure about or thought was, you know, me falling behind where I should be in the world ended up sort of 
putting me into a situation where I had sort of a better perspective and it made me think more entrepreneurially. I think if I would have started college right out of high school, um, one, I probably wouldn't have gone to as good of a college. And two, I probably would have like gone right into industry right away. Where because I felt behind, it made me think, well, the way to get ahead isn't just to go and work for somebody, it's to start my own thing. Um, and because I sort of had a little bit of a of a lifestyle maturity advantage over the people around me, I had the sort of confidence to do that. So I would say whatever you feel in your situation that you're sort of deficient at, that might be real. You, you might <laughs> suck at some things. You might be a little <laughs> bit late to the game. But that doesn't mean you don't have some other advantage that can m- more than make up for it. Yeah, totally. And uh, to to the question of, do I need a lot of experience to build the things you are? No, because the first year of my videos were within the first two years of me making anything. So no, you, you don't. Everybody has a starting place. It's just finding projects that aren't too far above your skill level. It's finding those introductory projects that are skill builders, but also confidence builders. Because yeah. mm-hmm. the last thing you want to do is get into a project that gets you so into so in over your head that you just quit and never pick up tools again. You want to get those easy wins to build your confidence and to become familiar with tools so that you're able to experiment more, go a little bit more out on a limb on one of those bigger projects when you when you think that you're you know experienced enough to do that. And and I can give an example too. It's like, uh, uh like Jimmy Duresta is I think about like ten years older than me, and Mike, mm-hmm. I'm about what like seventeen years older than you, fifteen, somewhere 16 years. You could have just uh, said ten. It would no like, <laughs> more than that. Um, so it's like, you know, there's, you know, when when I talk to Jimmy, he feels like a peer, but he also has like a lot of just like depth and grit to like all the random sort of little misadventures that he's been on and like random things he's experimented with. So I, you know, I, I, I like talking to him. So it's like, it's the same, but different. And I feel like the same way when we were hanging out, like, uh, yeah, in certain it's kind things, of like same thing, but roles reversed. Right. And, and with there's, you. there's definitely a generation gap in terms of like, uh, maybe like music and like TV and, and pop culture references, but we haven't been doing what we're doing now that much of a difference. Like I got started before right. you, but like relative to our overall amount of years that we lived, it's like, you know, you've been doing it for what, like three years now and I've been doing it for like four and a half years or five years right. or something. Um, that's not that big of a difference, right? Like that, that's going to blend into like, you know, almost the same really, really soon. By the time we both been, have been doing this kind of gig for, for 10 years, the difference between like 10 and like 11 and a half years isn't going to be that big at all. Right. Right. Um, So, you know, whatever you feel as too late, it's not an objective thing. It's just how you're thinking about yourself. So embrace that, take it as a challenge and uh, use it in the most productive way that you can sort of uh, manipulate it into. So, Chris, how do you answer this question? Well, I was going to say to Ben's last point. So, Mike, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just a couple years younger than Ben. But yeah. Mike's been doing this longer than I've been doing it. So YouTube, not building things. Yeah. Yes, YouTube, which is, I mean, that's what we're doing at the end of the day. Okay. Making yeah, content. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We just happen to be making things for content. Anyway, um, and to Mike, something you were talking about. So something that I've said a few times on the podcast, even when you're in the beginning and like, yeah, you do want to get those projects that are maybe a little bit simpler to try to get wins and, you know, try to build some momentum up and get some confidence. I do really stand by that idea. And I think it's something that was really beneficial to me to kind of overshoot a little bit in the beginning when there's opportunities to, and to try to build things that are a little bit more complex, but that you're excited about that. Like, you know, you really, they'll really drive you to put in that extra time. And so a good example for me is that coffee table that I built on, on YouTube. I built it, what, I don't know, three months ago or whatever, but it was the first thing that I designed on my own and built, and I didn't even have a shop yet. It was when I was just taking the night classes at the community college. And it was definitely beyond my skill level at that point. And I made it and it came out okay, but I could see that there were some problems in it. And like I said in the video, I kind of tinkered around with it and ended up breaking it. So 
you could look at it as a failure, but it's a failure where I learned so much from it. it. You know, it gave me the confidence to know, okay, I can do this. And all I have to do is change this one thing about it. And then I've conquered this build. And now there's the next one that I can move on to, to conquer. So, mm-hmm. in, you know, those moments of overshooting a little bit, and maybe there's some little bit of failure in there, there can still be a lot of success in that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's just having the the insight to look back on that and learning from it rather than just being pissed and right, yeah. quitting. Yeah, yeah, as long as you don't just get frustrated and be like, ah, it's a total failure, then yeah, you're screwed. But if you, yeah. if you, you can definitely get some good out of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say like if it's too late, if you have like six weeks to live and you're trying to build like a massive <laughs> online audience, then that would be the definitive answer for it's too late to start. <laughs> maybe i don't know that might but give your channel you a like pretty a big really, boost like, though you know a really heart-wrenching sort of poetic viral video building your own casket yeah wow oh, man, you, you had to take it there Chris. Go viral. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's see here's one that uh this is kind of an interesting one that we can discuss so he's, it's from ironic sumo on reddit he says which of your previous projects would you have your co-hosts iterate upon? And mm. which co-host would you assign to which project? So that's basically, mm. we need to choose the other one to build something that we've built in the past to see their take on it. Yeah, I, I, I got this one uh, first. Um, I, w- I would have you guys both do the same thing. And uh, I'd probably have you both guys do a one-sheet of plywood uh, table. That would Done. be a cool one, yeah. Should we get started now? <laughs> Let's go. Maybe, maybe it'll be one of our, our future sort of uh, design things. I think it'll be like that's a good one where we're all in the same place. Like maybe we'll yeah. Ooh, maybe we can do that at WorkbenchCon. Oh yeah, are there going to be tools there? too? Yeah, I, I've been talking we'll br- to. You, so I've been yeah. First of all, everyone should go to WorkbenchCon. Uh, I think there's still a few tickets left, so hurry up and get them. Um, but uh, I, I've been talking to people at Ryobi, and I'm saying like, hey. Bring bring some of like the the contractor grade tools and let's like let's build some shit you know let's uh yeah. let's, let's make this fun so it's like I keep telling them like I don't want this to be like a trade show where you walk around and look at literature like yeah. let's build things I was trying to get like our friends at Home Depot to to have like some sort of silly competitions like safety gear fashion show kind of thing. <laughs> uh, where they just put like a big pile of all the random stuff and in, in like a photo booth um but uh no i think that would be like a fun that would be like a fun project for like an in-person thing because i think yeah. because when you sort of normalize it to the same material you start to see people's sort of individualistic sort of aesthetic tendencies and you also see their preferences for how they like to connect things right mm-hmm. like I think that's like an underrated sort of subjective preference. Like some people really, Chris really trusts glue joints. Whereas like, I, do. <laughs> I, I really like, like the over hardware things and you might you're somewhere in between. Like I don't like pocket uh, holes like uh, or pocket screws too much. Um, it's for no reason. It's just because I haven't really done them that much. Um, mm-hmm. But like we all have these little sort of biases to both aesthetics and to connections. And I think a project like that sort of, uh, sort of brings out the sort of uh, diversity of approaches. Nice. Mike, do you have an answer already queued? I do. It was the the LED like framed mirror. Because <laughs> you, um, you want to say, you want to see you guys fail. No. <laughs> no, and I think the reason is because I spent so much time failing. I think it would be interesting not to see you guys try and just build one that looked the same as me, but just the same way you would say build a table out of one sheet of plywood. I would say build a LED mirror and I would just love to see like what you're what you took from that because I had the vision in my head where I was like okay I want the mirror I want the LEDs to be inset I want the there to be that glass border on the very edge and I just failed and failed and failed until I finally got the result I wanted but I never even thought about well how can I make this different so that it would be way easier just work better I just I had the end goal and I just kept failing until I got there but I would like to see a couple just totally different iterations of an LED mirror, I guess. Nice. I would, for Ben, just going back a couple weeks ago to a conversation we had on the podcast, we were talking about the one-legged table that I made, and he was kind of riffing on some ideas of like 
building in some infrastructure to the one leg, you know, mm. like running cables through it and all that. So I'd like to see him play around and expand on those ideas a little bit. Nice. Uh, for Mike, I'd probably give Mike like one of the more traditional pieces of furniture Ooh. and see him do that. Cause I like, like I watched your, uh, your dining table video that you did yeah, the other day. I, I like, like watching video. you build like the bigger furniture pieces. So yeah, just Me too. for out of enjoyment to watch. And yeah, what I think you probably would enjoy building. I'd, I'd give you a, one of the larger like furniture pieces. Thanks. Bad Larry or something. <laughs> You're welcome. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I would like to try a bad Larry. I would like to try a dumbed down bad Larry. I think that would be yeah. a cool little a experiment. dumb Larry. <laughs> yeah, dumb Larry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah, I might do that sometime. Like a stripped down in terms of like stripped down in like tools you would use you, you, and stuff like that. That could be Larry. fun. I'll do the drunk Larry. The drunk Larry. It's got a built in like bar card inside. It's got the whole a, like the front over. Yeah, the front face is like a normal like bookshelf console table, but it's like rotates into this bar card or something. <laughs> I like that question. Good question. Yeah. All right, let's see. All right, this one you can you guys can tell me if you want to answer it. Somebody from Instagram asked he wanted to know a breakdown of how we earn money. So not how much we make, <laughs> but like the percentages of I guess the pots of earnings that I don't know how things add up for us. You I guess I can, talk about that. I guess I can go really quick. I'm curious to see what you guys say. Okay. Um, but in terms of like the the like big money outside of like the merch sales. Okay, actually, let's just say I would say like merch sales are probably like two percent of my income, five percent of my income. Mm -hmm. uh, the actual YouTube ad revenue, which is the the AdSense money that you get from ads being played before your videos. Mm -hmm. Is probably so the money gets split mainly in three categories. One, I make some money from Amazon affiliate linking. I make money from AdSense, like I just talked about, and then then the third way is integrated sponsors. Mm -hmm. I would say about twenty five percent of my income, twenty percent of that is directly from the AdSense. So if I had no sponsors, I did nothing other than just make YouTube videos. I'd probably make about twenty percent of what I make right now, mm -hmm. um, and it wouldn't be a, a livable income. Right. Uh, so then I would say about the other 70%, 65% is from doing sponsors. And then about five, 10% of my income is from Amazon affiliate links probably. Nice. Yeah. For, so for, for me, I would say the majority of my, of my money comes from, uh, annual sponsorship deals with like a handful of the bigger brands that I work with. So yeah. every, every year when I sort of plan out my year, I first sort of set that in place, right? Um, so I, I, I try to look at uh, what are the biggest chunks of money that I can sort of secure and have sort of guaranteed. And I have zero concern for sort of price per video for their integration. What I'm looking for at the beginning of every year is how do I sort of have guaranteed contracts, right? Like yeah. I mean, we, we, we notice from like if, if, if you watch sports, you know that the same contract at the same value in the NBA is worth way more than it is in uh, the NFL. So in the NFL, you, you get paid a lot per game, but there's mm -hmm. not that many games, and it's not guaranteed. So right. the, the NBA contracts or the baseball contracts, way more valuable. So that's the way I sort of approach it. So when I sit down at the beginning of the year, I say, how do I sort of sign deals that have the most amount of zeros behind them with the biggest companies possible, uh, and I give zero regard for what that means per video because I know I have unlimited sort of creative ideas, and I'll meet their sort of supplier requests. Um, from there, I sort of look at uh, once I sort of secure those, and I only have room for a few of those deals. Yeah. So that's what keeps me from sort of getting too sort of uh, uh, sort of low priced. So once I have about two or three of those guys signed up. And I go, okay, I already know I'm going to make this many figures this year. Then I sort of look at economic density per action that I take. And that's where I'm sort of looking at like, hmm, oh, I see you, Audible. I see you, Squarespace. Uh, let's, uh, <laughs> let's do like a little three-video series this year, right? And because I already know what sort of my baseline price and what my sort of earnings expectations are, it lets me take risks with negotiating with those kind of brands more aggressively because you've uh, already got a reliable income exactly and yeah. i know that like i know that what a brand wants from me isn't going to always be best for me for audience growth 
So once I sort of secured with those sort of big things and I sort of have a, a, a whole year where I can sustain myself um, based on those few deals, it now lets me uh, negotiate really aggressively where either I'm going to get economic density, meaning a high price per video, or I'm going to say go away and I'm going to do a video that is going to be exactly what I want just for audience growth. And if you watch my sort of content, you can kind of see what I'm sort of experimenting with that I think is going to be a, a sort of an audience growth video versus what I sort of am just sort of, you know, throwing sort of a, a product reads in front of. Um, Sponsor, yeah. Yeah, and that, that being said, I'm wrong all the time. I mean, the the little uh, kinetic sand and uh, molten metal video did yeah. well over a million views. Like, I thought that was going to be kind of just like a throwaway yeah. to, to do a product read in front of them. But, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Care Of, excellent sponsor. I think you guys are both contemplating uh, uh, chatting with them. Yeah, they, I'm doing a video or two with them in January. Yeah, they're, they're yeah I think I'm going to in January as well. It worked out worked out great for everybody. So, um, But I would say in general, uh, AdSense is about an eighth to a tenth of, of my overall revenue. And I think that's the, the way you should sort of approach it. Because... People always think that you get money from YouTube views, and that's true. But it's different by different verticals. If you're a stand-up comedian or you have a podcast or if you're uh, a vlogger, then AdSense revenue is a legitimate source. If If you're posting enough and you're getting enough views. Right. Right. If your production of content requires production value and project planning and material costs and stuff like that, then AdSense revenue is a less viable source because you can't be as prolific with the content. Exactly. So if you're like a stand-up comedian or just really funny or uh, can do sort of videos with low production costs, then AdSense is a perfectly viable primary source of revenue. Yeah. If you're someone that has to make full furniture projects, let alone just small DIY projects, it gets a little bit rough. So um, you really have to look for the sort of integrated sponsors. Yeah. For me, uh, so kind of similar, but the one big difference is Patreon. So Patreon is my single biggest source of income, um, followed by sponsors and then AdSense and affiliate linking and all that stuff. Next year could be different because I'm trying to, I talked about it a couple weeks ago, I'm trying to be more organized going into next year. So I'm like, really trying to start lining up the sponsored videos that I'm going to do. And I'm trying to have a couple of sponsors that I work with where I do multiple videos, like Ben was saying that I can kind of just say, okay, now I know the way that I used to do it was like, I wanted to just make sure I had one sponsored video a month. Mm -hmm. And so once I have that laid out, then I feel like everything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah. It kind of gives you, it affords you the time to be able to plan for bigger things and to work on projects more rather than worrying about like who's going to sponsor this video or who's going to work with me on this. Right. Or, or an, if you have an idea that you think could totally fail, right. but you really want to do, yeah. it's like, okay, well now I can gamble with that on my own time. And I'm not, I'm only letting myself down if it totally blows <laughs> up. I wasted my time, but I didn't like, yeah. I don't have somebody else to be that I'm beholden to. So, and I feel like I'm actually, the, the thing is a lot of sponsors that I've been talking to they're used to probably dealing with people that their stuff doesn't take as long to produce as our stuff does. And and my stuff in particular, since, you know, I'm not doing it full time. So I don't know how interested they are all the time in saying like, yeah, I'd like to do a video with you guys, but I can't do anything for like four months. You know, that's probably (laughs) not ideal for, for their situation and whatever their bosses expect from them. Um, But I think, you know, as, as I go further into it and I get, better relationships with brands that probably will become more of a possibility. But yeah, as of now, like Patreon has been huge for me and like really taken a lot of this, of that stress off of the table and allowed me to do more of the stuff that I want to do. Um, and I hope that if we answer this question again in a year from now, that I would have a very different answer because, you know, hopefully that furniture thing takes off, but you know, I'm not betting on anything. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, put as much as I can into that, but I'm going to keep putting as much as I can into everything else. Cause who knows, man, you never know what, what's going to take off, what opportunities are going to fizzle and what are going to go big, but just do your best with every one of them. That's the way yeah, I look at and, it. And, and, and let me say this about the sort of money thing in general. It's like, 
uh, money's awesome, right? Like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> um, but, like, it's it's also very limiting as, as a focus, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think you focus on the efficiency of production of it and minimizing the things you do out of a sense of obligation to it that you don't actually enjoy, right? Right. But uh, it's rarely, like, uh, when people say, oh, that person has great business sense, they often mean that that person is very efficient about not doing anything for free. But when you look at people that somehow have created massive amounts of value, they're people that often did it without a very keen business sense because Mm-hmm. They built massive audience, or, or sort of just you know demonstrated some sort of design charisma, or sort of interesting ideas and things like that, and then later realized that they could sort of monetize it. So, yeah, when uh, you know when uh, uh, so when you're when you're sort of hunting for that specific result of saying like, what can I do that's going to make me the most money? You're often not going to find it when right. you sort of se- when you sort of separate and say, hey. I care about money because we all do. And I also care about doing things that I'm excited about and interesting at it. And those things might not always be the same. I find that that's, that that's the most helpful sort of outlook is just to be able to sort your ideas and not average them out. Right. Again, this is, goes back. We haven't dissed on Applebee's in a long time. So I've just got a big, <laughs> I think we did last week. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do it again. <laughs> that's a long time. So, it's been days. The problem with Applebee's is that it's in this upper middle where it's not great value and it's not great food. So you can get great value and crappier food from like Chick-fil-A. Actually, Chick-fil-A is better food. Chick-fil-A is bomb, yeah. yeah. Right? Chick-fil-A, you're going to get better tasting chicken than anything you're getting at Applebee's for way less money. And then on the outside, there's restaurants that are more expensive that have astronomically better food. So it's like, don't stay in that crappy middle. Same thing with sort of these kind of things. Don't pick a project because, oh, I think I'm going to make a lot of money and it's not really what I like, but I'm going to do that. That's what a right. normal job is for. Um, right. So what you want to pick is, uh, you know, it'd be better to do, to alternate projects and do, hey, this one's for me and this one's uh, to, to pay the bills. And I right. think a lot of movie directors do it that way where they'll be like, hey, I'm going to yes. I'm going to do it. And a, actors too, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do like a blockbuster movie. And then another actor says, like, or, you know, and then I'm going to do, like, two or three independent movies sort of on my own dime, right? And I think that's a good way of approach is not try to make everything you do do everything for you, but rather sort of kind of say, hey, I get to experiment in sort of purity uh, with each particular project, whether it be for financial reasons or for sort of creative reasons. Yeah. Right. It's about having think, a balance. Yeah, I think something that I've thought about before is that, like, and you guys would probably agree with this, but you know, once you've been doing this for like a year, right? Or you, you've got, let's say you've been doing it long enough that you've got a, a pretty good hand on like the business side of things and how things work. You could probably say, hey, you know what? Like this whole building thing is great and all, but I could do something that I could produce way faster, would cost me less money to produce and probably make more money doing it. But then you have to ask yourself, could I think about that thing for 70 hours a week and not hate my life. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So the answer is probably no. So yeah, for me personally, I've got a job. I don't, I mean, this is a second job, but it's a second <laughs> job that I love yeah. and I don't want a second job where I'm just punching the clock. So, you know, hopefully it'll get to that point for me someday where it will be my only job and, you know, I'll be able to fully dedicate myself to it. But I mean, I enjoy it. So that, that's the bottom line. The money, like, like Ben said, money's cool, but you got to enjoy it. Yeah. Exactly. What are you going to do with it? I was about that's to say, right. nothing you buy is going to make those 80 hours that you hated worth it. Right. Probably, unless you get like a PlayStation 4 Pro. Oh, no. There okay. you go. For, for drugs. <laughs> or, okay. Or, I guess, yeah. It'll temporarily make it cool. So uh, let's see. We're, we're going pretty long already here. Should we do some uh Do we have a hypothetical this week? Oh, we did the uh, hypothetical. We did. The oh, that was you, the yeah. Who would build what? That's right. That is a hypothetical. Right. Let's do the obsessions and stuff. So I I, I got a few. Okay. okay. So the first one is uh, Connor Coughlin. 
and if you look for him on YouTube, it's Connor, C-O-N-O-R, and then Coughlin, C-O-G-H-L-A-N. And I'm giving him a shout out because he just sent me an awesome bottle of whiskey, which I'm too glad <laughs> I'm drinking. To. Um, <laughs> and he made this really cool CNC box for it. I'll, I'll throw it up on uh, uh, Instagram. Um, he also has a studio called the, the AO5 Studio, I believe, on, yeah, on Instagram. If you go to A05 Studio, they're out of Brooklyn. Um, they've been doing some sort of like design build kind of projects for retail and stuff like that. And Connor's also made one of the coolest and most original woodworking chairs. He did this sort of like bent lamination chair that's like in between a rocking chair and a lounge chair all out Mm -hmm. of really thin sort of laminated layers of wood it's super slick he's the the video that he created is like excellent super informative it's one of the things that made me interested in sort of bent lamination stuff and uh all around awesome dude that sent me booze so yeah (laughs) moral of the story story, you send me booze uh you get a a shout out out. (laughs) that's a dangerous promise also, uh, and speaking of sort of obsession, which for us sort of, you know, also is what we're watching. Um, the, I think, the, I, I was watching the Twitter reaction to the new Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people were kind of upset because it's sort of like they felt like uh, the director sort of took liberties with a story and sort of lore that they really care about. Um and it's interesting the way they almost talked about it. You would think that they like you would think that this person stole something from them, right? Mm-hmm. But he didn't. He added to what they did, but he added it in a way. But he had no feel, right to do it, right? Son of a bee. <laughs> and it, it's a really interesting thing because the movie is like I defy anyone to say that it's not spectacular visually. Like I think like visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a series of scenes in there that are better than the, uh, just from a visual standpoint than anything that's been in any Star Wars. Um, cool. But uh, I get what they're saying in terms of like he played with some of like the canonical sort of themes in a way that I could see how it makes people uncomfortable. Um, and I would say, you, you know, whenever you feel sort of like outraged in those things, uh, really think like I haven't lost anything. I've only added to my thing, right? And it, it only makes you appreciate the original movies more if that's the way you feel. Nothing's been taken from you. You you aren't missing something. There's no reason for anger. There's only sort of like deeper appreciation of what you already know by this new sort of reference point. Um, and certainly just embrace like the 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 awesome new visuals. Cool. I haven't I haven't seen it, so I'll check it's it good. out. Was it was it considerably better than the other two new ones? Um, it was it. You know what it was? It was more of a singular vision, and good. Uh, they had like I think one director and a smaller writing team. Where the other ones were sort of like they brought in different people. They had to sort of patch them together. This one mm-hmm. felt like it was a different vision from the from the past. But it felt like a unified sort of uh, effort take on something from someone that might not have the same reverence for the sort of canonical things as people in the past have. Awesome. Chris, what do you got? Uh, So I got a couple things as well. So first, this one. So on Saturday, I was talking to one of my buddies. I'm going to butcher his last name, Rick Ratayshak. So he's he's one of my Patreon guys. I've talked to him. I talk to him every couple weeks usually. Um, but he was talking about he's been working on a CNC machine that he's building from scratch pretty much. And he's a, he's a programmer by day, so he's got some expertise and he's good at that kind of stuff. Um, so anyway, he, we were talking and he was like, hey, I wonder if I could build a, basically an automated fence on his table saw. So where using the stepper motors where it could you know, raise and lower like the clamp to secure the fence. And you could just like type in a dimension and it would just slide to that dimension on its own and lock itself down. Hmm. So it's kind of just like, you know, I don't think he's doing it from a practicality point of view. I think he's just doing it like, can I do it? Just to kind of challenge himself, see if it can be done. So this, I was talking to him on Saturday at like, you know, six o'clock or something like that. 
the next day he texts me, I guess he stayed up until like 3.30 in the morning working on it, and he had like a prototype done. Wow. And he sent me a video <laughs> of it. So I'm going to try to, I'll try to share that video on my Instagram, on yeah. my personal Instagram on Thursday, because it's just, it's pretty cool. I just want to see like where he goes with it and if he ends up doing something with it. That's pretty, I thought it was pretty impressive that he could get something done in a few hours like that. Um, and then other than that, uh, another YouTube channel, actually, have you guys seen Sean Boyd made this? No, I haven't. I've talked, I've talked to him a couple times. He's got, I don't know, probably like five or six videos. He's only got like, I think maybe 3000 subscribers, but the stuff he makes is cool, man. Like really neat designs. I'm not just saying that cause they're kind of similar oh, in style to yeah, a lot I of the designs yeah, that I make. A lot of curves. Mm-hmm. A lot of curves, a lot of like shapely mid-century modern type furniture. So yeah, he's making some cool stuff and, you know, it's just one, another one of those exciting channels to watch. So, you know, check them out, get in on the ground floor and enjoy yourself. Awesome. My shout out this week is the channel Cactus Workshop. I think I've mentioned him once or twice in the past, but he made a video. It's called The Minimal Christmas Tree. If you guys have not seen this one, check it out. It is really, really cool. Essentially, what he did is take a bunch of 10 millimeter steel rod and bend it into triangle shapes to create this floating Christmas tree that's all held together with like fishing lines. So it looks like hmm. these metal triangles that are suspended in air with little wooden ornaments that's all able to spin and rotate because it is just held together with that fishing line. It's all really cool. Um, I'll post a little little video of it if I can get some footage from him on our Instagram uh, to kind of shout it out. It's Cactus Workshop. Go check it out. He makes really cool videos if you've never seen him before. He does a really great job of editing and uh, just making things look cool. And then the second thing I was going to shout out is another YouTube thing. It is called Mind Field. It's a YouTube Red series. And mm-hmm. normally, YouTube Red series are pretty garbage. Um, but this one is, is pretty good. It's, it's the guy, uh, his name is Michael. The, it's from the channel Vsauce that does all of those kind of science oh, yeah. experimenty type things. And uh, the whole season is basically doing, doing these experiments in real life and trying to f- just do sciencey things. So one of, the, one of the episodes was on how people are able, like how interrogators are able to get false confessions out of people that hmm. didn't commit crimes that they confessed to. But instead of just talking about it, he then goes and does experiments where he makes people falsely admit to something that they know they didn't do. Hmm. Um, and then another one was talking about all, all kinds of other stuff. Just go watch it. It's a cool thing. Uh, I think the first episode is free for every YouTube Red kind of series. Um, yeah, so if you like it, it, then get YouTube Red, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what else to really? say. Really? So you think hot take from Mike? Yeah. <laughs> you, you haven't seen like a great YouTube Red series yet? Uh, No, not really. Um, Have you? No. No. <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't know. I mean, Netflix does great at original programming, but YouTube has not yet done it for me. Yeah, I mean, they're just getting into it, and it's also not what people are going there for, which I guess you could say about Netflix when they started doing it, too. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But I feel like YouTube Red is dumping so much into the, like, the, the 12-year-old market where they're trying to get the, like, kind of social influencers that are all gauged towards, like, adolescents and preteens that I think is a, kind of a turnoff for everybody else because... Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, I have YouTube Red just so I don't have to deal with ads and so I don't have to have an ad blocker on my uh, browser because I feel like that's bad since that's how I get my money. Um, right. But it's just like when I look at the list of series on YouTube Red, it's like, oh, here's someone from some... You, Nic- it's like the, It all looks like Nickelodeon shows. Jake Paul camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it looks like a bunch of Disney Channel shows. You know, and then be- a couple decent things sprinkled in. Speak- speaking of YouTube, though, that is awesome... Uh, I just have another one. So I want to give a shout out to Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff for recommending on the Making It podcast, uh, Smarter Every Day. He's recommended it a few times, and I finally watched a couple of the videos. And mm-hmm. as as expected, they're they're fantastic. Um, yeah. So in particular, uh, in this current sort of climate of people being very entrenched in their ideas, I highly recommend watching the one on the backwards bicycle which i think is the one they have pinned to the top um there's the the host that sort of the way he presents it there's a certain uh generosity and sort of warmth in how he communicates a very broad idea 
and uses uh, sort of certain technical challenges to learning something as a as a way to sort of uh, understand and act in the world uh, at large. So uh, smarter every day, and also I like to make stuff because Bob's got great taste. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed wait, wait, this Chris. episode. Chris went. No, I already went. We've we've uh, round robin this thing. Yeah, you're just you're just double I'm dipping. Drunk. <laughs> well, if you want to send more, if you want to send more alcohol to Ben, his shipping info is just kidding. <laughs> Probably on his channel. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Yeah, uh, you can find us individually at uh, at Modern Builds, at Benjamin Ueda, and at Four Eyes Furniture. We're all together at at Modern Maker Podcast. That was a lot of ats. Uh, uh, you can find our Dwell Made series on YouTube. Just search Dwell Made at Dwell Made on Instagram. One more at for you guys. I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode. We'll see you next time, next Thursday. Well, no, it won't be. We should clarify. Next Thursday is going to be a holiday episode. Am I correct? Uh, well, okay, this is going to come out Thursday. Then, no, I think next Thursday we'll have a regular one, it's, right? It's just going to be okay. us singing Christmas music, right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we'll open we'll it up. We'll figure it out. Right, it's going to be something, but we'll see you next Thursday. We'll see you next Thursday with another okay. episode of the Modern Maker Podcast. Bye, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Suck it. Ha, ha, ha.